Hello, and welcome to the Wanderings Podcast, a photographer's exploration of art, science, and world culture. I am your host, Pedro Bonato, a fine art and advertising photographer based in Toronto, Canada. In this show, I talk to artists, designers, scientists, filmmakers, authors, entrepreneurs, people who are creating inspiring work in a variety of fields. I have been working as a professional photographer and as a musician for a few years, and I am often inspired by history, science, mythology, and popular culture in the photographs that I create. In this podcast, I try to go a little bit deeper in the stories that inspire me, and I hope will inspire you too. In today's episode, we explore the many intersections between art and science. Great geniuses of the past, from Hypatia of Alexandria in antiquity to Leonardo da Vinci in the Renaissance, used both areas as forms of inquiry and windows into our universe. Over time, they began to get further and further apart, but luckily today, there is a number of people trying to build new bridges between art and science. My guest is Dr. Roberta Buyani, an interdisciplinary artist, a media theorist, and art sci curator based in Toronto. Buyani is the co-founder of the Art Sci Salon, hosted at the Fields Institute for Research in Mathematical Sciences. We talked about science popularization, about art inspired by science, and about innovative efforts from artists and scientists to work together in collaborations that inform each other's work. We discussed some of our favorite artists, including the emerging field of bioart, and how art can serve as a tool to investigate the role of science in society. We also talked about an exciting event coming up in April 2018 in Toronto and Ottawa, organized by the Art Science Salon. If you are in one of those cities, I encourage you to check it out. In 2012, I finished a master's degree at OCAD University that linked my interest in photography and the history of science. I must say that Roberta's work and advice was a shining light that helped guide my way through these usually siloed fields. My goal with this podcast has been to inspire you to follow your curiosity, and I think this was the main theme of today's show. So, here's my conversation with Dr. Roberta Buyani. So, Roberta, thank you for being with me in the podcast today. And uh, I want to start by asking you... First, tell us a little bit about your work in uh, art and science and uh, what you've been up to. Okay, so uh, right now I am, uh, I self-identify as uh, the art director of the Art Science Salon, mm -hmm. uh, which is a collective of artists and scientists who are uh, interested in uh, initiating dialogue and uh, communication and collaborations between artists and scientists and of course um, uh, people are working with technologies. And we started in 2012, initially in the basement of InterAccess, mm -hmm. and then we were uh, taken in by the Fields Institute. Mm -hmm. So uh, the Fields Institute right now is our host. The Fields Institute is um, uh, institute for for research in mathematical sciences, mm -hmm. but we are not mathematicians, although we have a lot of mathematicians in our audience. But our goal is to initiate dialogues across all scientists, all sciences, and uh, 
we discovered that uh, um, there's actually quite a need for collaboration between uh, art and science. Uh, there's a growing network of uh, artists and I just discovered even in the GTA, I went recently to um, Vaughan to a panel and uh, people from Newmarket, from Markham, really want to initiate art and science collaborations. So there's really a hunger for this type of activities. But we, we, started, in, we started early and uh, uh, only a couple of years ago we started uh, gaining a momentum mm -hmm. so that uh, from uh, like the usual suspects of like 20, 30 people right now, like especially in the last two years, we've had an increasing number of people coming to our events. Mm -hmm. Right now we are counting around like a hundred people per oh. time. Yeah. And we are we had a few full full houses and a few sold out events. Mm -hmm. How did you start getting into that? Because I know you studied the literature back in Italy, right? Yeah. And then uh, you came to, to Toronto and studied art. So what was your uh, path into this interest in uh, art and science? Okay, so I came to the art, to the relationship between art and science through um, an interest in new media. So I'm, I've always been interested in new media. Back in the 90s, when I was doing my BA in Italy, in uh, um, literature, I became very much interested in uh, the rising internet and uh, new technologies. And I spent one year in the United States. That's where I learned a lot of technology and a lot of... Um, stuff connected with iTech, but I also realized there was a connection with science. So I went back to Italy, I felt like I was half-baked. I came back to North America, this time to Canada, and I did my MA in art history. And then I was directed to a PhD in communication and cultural studies, mm -hmm. because my then professors told me, why don't you, why are you staying in art history? Art history is about that man. <laughs> you should get into, <laughs> into, into um, communication. You should get into, into um, ITAC and communication and cultural studies, not just communication. So communication and cultural studies are the right way to, to, to do it. And so I, I found my way and I've been interested in stuff that is always at the intersection between art, science and technologies. Mm -hmm. For example, I wrote my dissertation on viruses mm -hmm. and um, it was supposed to be about computer science, uh, computer viruses, but then they became somehow and unavoidably linked to biological viruses. So from this sort of obsession, <laughs> I, I started becoming interested in uh, artists who are uh, working with, with scientists. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and uh, I became more and more interested and I started having these conversations with artists and uh, I wrote about them. And right now this write-up has become a collaboration. And from there, I met um, my big model, my big mentor, who is Jim Rockstone, mm -hmm. who was then the chair of Sado Technologies Festival, which for a long time was the only festival in North America dealing with the relationship between art, science, technologies. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, now it's changed its course. Now it's more about technologies, but at that point, at, at that time, it was about a lot about the hard sciences, and they had 
physicists being involved, they had mathematicians, they had uh, uh, biologists, and it was like this uh, really fascinating world that I started pursuing. And uh, when uh, Jim said, oh, I think that there's a great need for this type of activity, why don't we put together something that happens also during the year instead of having just one festival that happens for a few days? Mm-hmm. I said, okay, so I'm on board. I want to do this. And uh, and of course, like it took a few years. Um, and now we have the RSI Salon. Mm-hmm. And um, we are actually expanding now, mm-hmm. uh, hopefully to the GTA, but also to Ottawa next month. Oh, right. We are going to Ottawa to do an event. Mm-hmm. And... From what I see, from the buzz that it's been um, generated, it looks like there's an interest. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, the, so, I saw this is being recorded in March 2018. So if you're listening to this two years from now, sorry you missed it, but I'm sure Artsai <laughs> will be around doing the other events. But this will happen in uh, April 10th, 11th, and the 12th, and then in Ottawa, I think it's on the 14th. Yeah, it's a, it's a three days in Toronto, and then one day in Ottawa. Great, yeah, we'll put all links for that in the, in the show notes and the, in the release the, the podcast before that day, so that uh, people can take a look. I remember going to one of the most memorable ones for me of uh, Art Size Salon was with the uh, nervous system. I'll try to get them to, to be interviewed in the podcast because they do a lot of work related to biology and related to like 3D printing and, uh, and fashion is something that I'm interested in. And physics and mathematics too. Yeah, yeah. yeah of course, yeah, by, by definition. So it's, a, it's very, uh, very interesting. Cool. So that's like the beginning for you, your, your BA, then your master's, then your PhD, and now the work with the uh, Artside Salon. And of course, you're interested in biology specifically, right? Can you tell us a little bit about some of the projects you've worked on? I know there are a lot of uh, talks and uh, discussion groups and things that you guys do, but I know you work with um, both performance art and installations. So can you tell a little bit about the projects you worked on? on that? Okay, uh, so um, there's a philosophy behind it. Initially, we started doing only talks, so our agreement with the Fields Institute was we're going to be in your space and we're going to do a series of talks where we are putting one scientist and one artist in the same room and they will discuss about topics that pertain to both. But this is very, I, should, I shouldn't say boring, I should say classic. Yes. It's a very traditional way of dealing with this. So you go there and you have PowerPoint presentation and you're talking to the audience. And I thought, well... We, have a, we are in the Fields Institute, which is this beautiful building which had, with a beautiful staircase. And so we, the first thing that we did was um, there was a guest mathematician who was uh, uh, doing experiments with the flights of insects. And we asked her, do you want to do something artistic? And so she put together this sort of performance where she was really just throwing rice paper pieces of that staircase Mm. and she had an experimental pianist playing a modified piano Mm -hmm. and the performance consisted in these beautifully colorful paper clips 
paper uh, uh, sheets coming down the stair and they were really flying they were simulating a fly of insect mm -hmm. and uh, and we thought okay that's it we need to do site specific site specific things mm -hmm. and so we started inviting people like for example the nervous system that you you were talking about that they were they brought their own samples mm -hmm. and jewelry and stuff so people were invited to see what they had, so they put everything on the table. We had the fiber artists who brought samples of the, the fiber they were creating as a tactile material. So people were, they were circulating them across the, uh, the space. We had people working with food who brought samples of some kind of science fiction food. <laughs> and, uh, and, then, um, and then I discovered, uh, uh, a couple of years ago, I discovered that uh, because we are inside the University of Toronto, there's a lot of spaces that are very fascinating, that they have, they're either empty uh, or they have some really old instruments that are very dusty. <laughs> and I thought, uh, what a waste of space. Um, it would be really nice if we repopulated these places and most of them are cabinets, so they are enclosed uh, behind a glass uh, uh, window. So why, why don't we repopulate these with art? Especially because these cabinets are always in the proximity of, um, of, of science departments. Mm. And we thought, okay, so let's ask first if we can use them. And uh, it was hilarious because in some cases, uh, people had lost the keys, they didn't remember them. They had instruments and posters from old conferences from the 80s. Oh, wow. And, and uh, one, actually, I remember one secretary suggesting that I, I, I just open it with... Uh, um, well, a big clock, well, yeah. clock yes. <laughs> 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 so, well, you, you can open them and use them. Um, so we chose the best uh, that um, did for us, and we launched this cabinet project. And that was actually the first uh, major project that we did. Mm -hmm. And it was a um, distributed uh, exhibition across campus. We did some, me some media coverage from uh, university. Uh, we had some sponsorship from the various science departments, mm -hmm. and um, and uh, yeah, in uh, April, actually last year, these days, last year, we um, launched this exhibition. So basically, people were given a map, and they could go around and check out these uh, cabinets, which had been commissioned to be installed by um, artists who had chosen instruments from the University of Toronto scientific collection mm. or artists who were inspired by a certain type of science that was in the proximity of these cabinets and or just plain art and science collaboration. Mm -hmm. Some of them had that historical meaning mm -hmm. so they were using actively using old, old instruments from the 19th century. Some of them were, were making a commentary about uh, the politics of uh, uh, scientific instruments. So, for example, there was an artist who worked with instruments that were used in the mining industry. Mm. So, like she was uh, making a comment on occupational health. We had um, artists who were uh, working on, on the microbiome. We had artists who were doing stuff with the environment. Mm -hmm. So, uh, mud coming from Lake Ontario uh, that was teeming with bacteria, and we're like taking these like fantastic colors and so on and so forth. And we had so much stuff going on, and we had twelve installations. Oh. Yeah, we also had a, and we also started. A, becoming very interested in, in performance. Mm -hmm. 
And uh, again, this year we're going to go again back to the performing aspect of the space that we are occupying, mm -hmm. uh, which is the Fields Institute. Um, mm -hmm. We want the artists to use that staircase, so mm -hmm. one of the um, performance that will happen on April 11 oh, actually cool. will use the, the whole space mm -hmm. to do a performance lecture. Mm -hmm. so. Yeah, and the, the interesting thing for me of uh, this specific project is the sort of like poetic relationship with the, those cabinets of curiosities, right, that people used yeah. to have in the 19th century that they would collect artifacts or wonders or like I remember one someone in like Victorian England had like a hand of a mummy or something like that they would have like and it would be eventually all those items would become a museum but uh, so I thought it was kind of cool to do this at least is how I interpreted that it's sort of like a revival of that using art and the unused spaces of university had the little interesting thing to it too so this is also i think it also goes beyond i mean my mm -hmm. my point here was and i realized this after i had uh, uh, picked those those cabinets and i saw the real potential but for me is not just to bring people back to this idea of the cab mm -hmm. of the uh, cabinet curiosity which is very good because it attracts uh, people to um, take a look. to come take a look but this very element calling people to come take a look actually can be as well used to encourage people to reappropriate spaces in the university mm -hmm. university which is a, um, a public space mm -hmm. but it's been uh, turned into a private space yes. by the various administrations and mm -hmm. uh, um, the fact that there's this assumption that academia is a um, sort of citadel that is inaccessible. Uh, even more so in the field of the, the sciences. People think the sciences are inaccessible, they are out there, they can be touched, they can be discussed, and they are neutral. Uh, now, sciences can be very political, they can be very effective, and uh, I think that people should uh, re-approach um, science and should start discussing science and should have a more critical uh, stand towards it. Not as in, oh, I hate science, I don't want to interact with it, um, but more like, okay, so is science really unaccessible? How can I understand better the role of science? How can I participate in the process of mm -hmm. doing science? How can I advise in terms of policy, in terms of uh, also like for my own knowledge in the, like the whole uh, idea of doing science? Mm -hmm. I think that people should, should like this, this could be a good uh, opportunity for people to uh, become more informed and mm -hmm. achieve more knowledge. Mm -hmm. Cool. Yeah, so that uh, specific idea of um, engagement of people like into, into science, I think that's one of the things that you guys are doing that is very cool that it goes sort of like beyond the usual science popularization efforts. And I know you're going to talk about uh, the difference between art and science, but like science popularization, at least classically, is sort of like the art, the scientist telling you how it is and sometimes quote-unquote dumbing it down so that you would understand or at least trying to make it interesting as if the subject itself was not already interesting, right? So I think this idea of having an active engagement with the both the practices in science and the practices 
yeah, like in technology for that matter too, it's a very cool thing to use art as a sort of like engagement, right? So I think it's, it's really... Yeah, using art as an engagement so that people can actually approach uh, science uh, better. But it's not just uh, one way. Uh, so it's not a way for individuals to approach science through the arts so that they can understand better science. Uh, this would be science communication and science communicate science communicating better through art. Mm -hmm. This is uh, the goal of science communication. And I had a lot of discussions with scientists about that. Mm -hmm. I think the problem has to be two-way. Uh, how can scientists communicate better science and how can artists contribute with their research to science? Mm -hmm. And I think that this is something that is not being understood. There's always this... Uh, tendency of both sides to look down mm -hmm. look down upon each other so the the artists say oh they, like um, scientists do not understand our art um, it's uh, way more complex than just uh, uh, people being inspired and being spiritual and etc etc and the scientists are like well we are working with instruments we're doing important work so why would uh, an artist come and use the instruments uh, to pursue his own or his or her own uh, goals mm -hmm. and research, I think that they could, like artists and scientists, could actually contribute to each other's work in a very meaningful way. And I've seen um, uh, this happening in uh, a bunch of circumstances. Once I saw uh, artists and and scientists writing papers together, mm -hmm. papers that were going simultaneously in. Uh, scientific publications, so very legitimate, mm -hmm. and they were also going into arts publication. And we have examples here at the University of Toronto, we have examples uh, in the University of Ottawa. Mm -hmm. And I think that also in uh, uh, Montreal at Concordia, through um, a bunch of um, labs that have been created by science, science, scientists mm -hmm. and artists for these activities. Yeah, and I think it's interesting to, to put this in a, like, a historical perspective too, right? Because for a long time, the people doing art and doing science were sort of like literally the same individuals, right? And then over the last, what, like two, three hundred years maybe, <laughs> yeah. there was sort of like a separation. And from what I see in that field, it's like because of specialization we're able to get to like enormous leaps in both uh, areas but then at the same time we lost certain things that especially in the idea of curiosity play and, uh, and experimentation right that I think now with these efforts are being sort of like brought together right it's like artists or illiterate or uninterested, uninterested in science and then scientists are illiterate and interested in, uh, in art and everybody loses because of that. At least that's the impression yeah. that I have. Yeah, no, it's not just an impression. There is an intervention, like there is a, an intention of the various governments to do this. Like the province of Ontario is very um, clear about it. It funds more the sciences than the arts. For them, it's all about STEM, 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 STEM. And uh, I was talking with someone, and uh, when you're talking about STEAM, so science, technology, uh, engineering, arts, and mathematics, so you put the A in the STEM, most of the times it's how can you embellish science through art. And we had actually a discussion in December about this, and we had actually, it was 
very successful with a very sophisticated uh, bunch of thinkers and uh, a lot of uh, questions from the audience. The fact that uh, we had these governments who are pushing towards sciences because they are, I guess, economically more sound, mm. but this is not the case. Yeah. Uh, as a matter of fact, the arts are bringing as much as the sciences into the economy, and I don't understand why they keep them separated, because the two of them together would actually right. yeah, it's so make interesting. things I more was, powerful. I can't remember who said it, but they were talking about why are people flooding to, like, as tourists, for example, to Europe, like to, like to Italy, to your country, to Spain, to France, to these places that over the centuries have actually, although it was through religion, but they actually have invested massively in arts and in, and in beauty and like yeah. in, in, in content. And then over time, of course, the ROI of having uh, creations is, uh, it comes back. I can't remember what I saw this, but... Uh, the, the cool thing, and then of course you have, uh, I think there's even studies in economics that show that the more investment you have in arts, it makes the community vib more vibrant, which makes the economy grow further, right? So it's, it's sort of like a no-brainer that you have to explain, but since you have to explain, that's part of the work, right? I don't know, look at the funding to the universities, I mean, <laughs> yeah it's all about technical, it's not just even physics and mathematics, it's all about the applied sciences, it's all about engineering and uh, uh, medicine. medicine, like those are the, the, the professions that bring you status. And I don't know, are we going to have a, a whole society made of unemployed engineers who <laughs> kind of think otherwise? Sorry, maybe you can t take this away, <laughs> like I'm a little bit over polemic, but I'm very, I'm very critical about it. I think that this is a completely senseless. I don't understand what, what, what the hell are they thinking about? <laughs> right, and like, even on the sciences, I remember seeing the, the budget, for example, for GPL, JPL, like uh, the Jet Propulsion Laboratory many years ago, and it was like 95% was for engineering and then 5% yeah. was for science. And for science as in uh, like basic science research that not necessarily will bring immediate returns, but at the same time, all the technology we have today is based on at least 200-year-old basic science, right? So from uh, Fourier series to make these recordings and uh, all the other like areas that are like scientifically didn't have an applied goal when they were being created. Right? Yeah, so. a lot of the times this is a failed experiment that turns into something else. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah, of course. Not necessarily in the sciences. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, but like it's it's really like this like goal-oriented science and goal-oriented everything is really damaging research. Mm -hmm. Because uh, when you're starting a research, like I see myself when I apply for SHRC, or even my, my colleagues who are scientists who apply for ANSERC. Like, those are, just so that audience knows, those okay. are like grants that uh, the government uh, in Canada specifically gives to researchers, correct? Is the, okay, the SHRC is the Social Science and the Humanities uh, Research Council, mm -hmm. and uh, ANSERC is the National okay. uh, the, the, um, uh, Science. Yeah, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you, just so that No, is, yeah, so. you're right, you're right. <laughs> Uh, yeah, when we are applying for these grants, we are forced to make a, a to formulate a thesis and also to answer ourselves. Uh -huh. And so basically, like our work, as a colleague of mine was saying, is basically science fiction because uh -huh. <laughs> we are just doing doing these extrapolations, which will never happen. 
well, we will know, uh, we will not know whether or not we're getting the funding, but if mm -hmm. we get the funding, probably chances are that our results will not be what we had uh, anticipated in right. our grants. So. <laughs> oh, interesting. So it's sort of like almost uh, you have to create an advertisement for whatever... Yeah, call it like that. Of, yeah, like yeah. Uh, what the whatever body of that will approve the grants will think will be either more prestigious or more... Um, I don't know, advantages, so like people have to adapt in a way and it becomes what you're yeah. calling, you're saying, like, sort of like a science fiction. Yeah, not only, but you also have to simplify your work a lot hmm. because uh, committees that are judging your work are not unnecessarily in your specific field and so they have to understand that. So you end up, like, so basically like my, and I, and I bet other scholars are like that, like my biggest pain is trying to convey something that I still don't know how it's going to look and uh, it has to be as simple as possible mm -hmm. and you basically end up uh, oversimplifying it mm -hmm. and hoping for the best. Right, yeah, <laughs> so. yeah that's, uh, that's, that's, that's interesting. I even, I even remember like just going back even, I think on the pioneer missions they had like, they had big discussions <laughs> trying to decide if it was worth putting a camera in the, literally a camera in the, in the spacecraft to, because they thought there might be no use, no scientific use in the image, so they would rather put like other kinds of sensors and things. So it's uh, interesting how it's sort of like a hydra, you have to battle to, to explore the unknown in a way, right? Yeah. So without having to have a specific Something that you would actually know what the, the answer most likely is. Right? Going from uh, art and science, and then we talked a little bit about uh, science popularization, how do you see the, the field here in Canada as opposed to other places around the world? Like, uh, how, do you, how do you see that? I find the field here more, like, very interesting. Uh, we have some uh, specific items that I think uh, places like Europe don't have. And I base this on uh, uh, events that I've seen uh, succeeding in Europe, which will never and ever go well here in Canada. And uh, it's not because they are not brilliant, they are absolutely brilliant. But uh, here in Canada, whether we want it or not, and I find this very positive, I think there's still a lot of work to do, but uh, we are kind of moving very, very, very slowly towards it. There is an um, initial acknowledgement or a start of an acknowledgement of scientific fields that are not Western, um, necessarily Western um, uh, scientific areas. And uh, there's also a more acknowledgement, or at least I do acknowledge them, acknowledgement of uh, non-Western science, like for example, traditional science, Mm. Um, traditional knowledge, uh, indigenous knowledge, also uh, uh, non-Western knowledge such as uh, Chinese medicine and Chinese mm. anatomy. And uh, it's, there's still a lot of work to do, mm. but I think that because our country is somehow a little bit more open towards these kind of fields, mm -hmm. I think that we will be able to incorporate them into our talks and mm -hmm. having people pay attention to them as legitimate fields. Mm -hmm. They already have, mm -hmm. I think. There's a lot of, there's still a lot of uh, um, 
where discussions that I'm having with people, uh, where I am uh, providing examples of uh, indigenous knowledge that has uh, outdone Western uh, knowledge. Mm -hmm. And uh, and somebody says, yes, but, uh, you know, um, this is very dangerous because people would think that uh, um, by just doing a simple gesture, they would solve their problem. There's problems like cancer, for instance. You cannot cure cancer mm -hmm. with clay. You cannot cure cancer like this. But um, it's it's not that. I think it's the, the concept of... Uh, Having a different system and a system that sometimes works, that doesn't necessarily implies the use of calculations, predictions, uh, cost-based uh, um, activities mm -hmm. uh, that I think we should consider also as legitimate science. Mm -hmm. So a non-goal-oriented uh, um, type of science. Mm -hmm. And I think that if we had to, like, I, I think that our, our, um, our activities as uh, people who are negotiating across art and science, um, we should start incorporating also non-traditional mm -hmm. science into, into that. Mm -hmm. And I think that Canada is the right place to do it. Well, cool. uh, I haven't never thought about uh, that way. Usually, I I'm usually like personally more on a skeptical camp for those kinds of things in the sense that, like, of course, there's a lot of things, especially like to boil down to like very simple things like folk remedies that over time you see like oh this is this actually works. But separating what works and what not what doesn't work would have to still go through the scientific process in a way and at the same time you have the problem that that i acknowledge that is a problem of today's time that the current system for let, let's say deciding what's real knowledge or it's like uh, let's say quote unquote uh, accepted knowledge it's very flawed because sometimes even with the the whole thing with like is sugar bad for you they could be a bunch of scientists to tell oh well, it's actually it's a fat that is bad for you and the sugar is okay it takes 50 years for you to for those things to start coming to life but this works also for science for, for, yeah, yeah. for traditional science well, tra I'm, I'm calling it traditional but it's really not for western science right. western science is selling you things coating them with this scientific talk and with these sort of uh, statistics and, and data and they bring you evidence, but we don't know if this is true or not. I mean, mm -hmm. consider that in the 1930s, uh, scientists were legitimating smoke as yeah. uh, like as a treatment as even, a treatment <laughs> even. Yeah. and uh, they were um, uh, putting a stamp over uh, radioactive uh, items and they had the radioactive pills that were yeah. circulating and caused a lot of cancer yeah. and they put in circulation a lot of cures that were then proven as um, like causing cancer or killing people mm -hmm. or causing more troubles than they, yeah. they were supposed to cure. So it's, the thing about science is science is a, is a profoundly experimental activity. But so are the other sciences. Yeah, it's messy. <laughs> and uh, yeah, it is, it is messy, but um, it is actually very unfair to consider... Uh, Western science is more legitimate than other sciences because they both fail. Hmm. Yeah, it's interesting. Like that's at least uh, on 
the subjects that you were interested in of like this relationship of like art science and then engagement of the public in a critical analysis of it then independently of where because i know from all the people that i that i, that I talk to you have people in all the all the spectrums like from the pure let's say traditionalist quote-unquote scientists to the people that are for these guys would be considered the woo scientists but it, there certainly is a truth in all of them right I mean, truth in all they're like i'm sure no one has the complete picture and so it's interesting that this idea of like engaging people to think for themselves in the end independent of where in the spectrum you are it's the ultimate scientific principle right of like let's search for knowledge and know that yeah. it's never done right yeah. that we are dumb and we are the easiest people <laughs> to fool as uh, richard feynman once said right? we rely on uh, the authorities to to make our choices yeah that's the other thing that's one of the big the, mistake yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah that, that's one of the things that i find so fascinating and so interesting in this uh, let's say disruptive nature of art science like uh, relationships because you're trying by definition through the creative vision of art and the inquiry of scientific thinking you are actually trying to go against or at least beyond whoever is the authority in that field trying to impose as the as the narrative right and i think that's the power and the danger maybe that's why they don't want to fund these things it is power. It is the power and the danger. That's right. Um, there's this uh, um, group of artists, uh, the Tissue Culture uh, Arts and Pro um, Arts and Science Project. I don't remember. Mm -hmm. Sorry. It's I okay. Have to, I have to like, the, uh, we'll well, we'll okay, we'll so, certain show notes later on. Yeah, two yes. two art. Well, I'm I'm thinking about two artists in particular, um, Oron Katz and Yon Azur. Uh, they were working together, and they become very famous for uh, creating these uh, tissue culture art mm -hmm. uh, which is a, a biology based art on tissue culture mm -hmm. and they created this semi-living the thing is okay this is more complicated than that but the thing is that their their work is very ambiguous it can be taken as a um, way to popularize the science and a certain activity within science but it could also be taken as a way to criticize science. Mm -hmm. But what is very interesting is they, they let the audience decide. So when somebody tells them, oh, but uh, your, your work has been misunderstood by scientists, by popular science, and also by the audience, what do you say? And they say, well... But this is the point of our artwork. Mm -hmm. This is the point of art. The fact that it is staying there, it's ambiguous. And for those people who want to listen, uh, there's a question for them. So how do you respond? Do you choose to go deeper? Do you choose to do a little bit more research? Mm -hmm. Do you choose to become more interested in this field? Or do you just choose to buy whatever is told to you? Mm -hmm. Or just to, to base your judgment upon the first impression? Mm -hmm. So I, I find this uh, this very interesting. Something that not all artists uh, and scientists like to to do. Letting go is very difficult. Like I'm, uh, I'm, I've been trying to do it with my own art, mm -hmm. and it is very difficult because it is because you're trying to anticipate what the audience, how the audience will react, and you can't. Mm -hmm. And sometimes I get a little bit frustrated, but. 
sometimes I'm like, okay, so I just want to let go and see what happens. And most of the times, this is the this is the way to go. This is what makes the art more lively and people more interested. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah. and even uh, this reminded me. I don't know if you know the work of this artist called uh, Iris Howler. She's a German artist. She's a, this will be a little tangent in our conversation, but to me, it's the best art installation work I've ever seen in my life by far. There's no comparison. She did at the AGO, and I don't think she will do this again, so I, I will spoil it. <laughs> but uh, she basically did um, as if they, like, they were doing an archaeological research in the grunge building. The AGO is the art gallery of Ontario and you would go in and then you would see the work that people were doing and in that house, circa 17th, like I think 18th, 19th century. And then you would go in and then you would see that they found these objects, these art objects created by this person that used to work in that house. That was the house of the mayor, if I'm not mistaken. And then you would go through and they would show you all the research. And this was in the Grange house? Yes, yes. And then you would go through, you would see everything, and then you would, they would even show oh, where the, how the archaeologists are working on this. You would go to their office and take a look, sort of like a re- regular curatorial tour. Then, oh, if you want to learn more about it, they would give you a piece of paper that is sort of like a newsletter thing when you open it. And I even get like goosebumps just remembering it. Because I remember, it's like, oh, cool, you get connected to this character, this woman from a century ago that was doing this wax art in the place and this and that. And then uh, you would go home and then hopefully you would open this photocopy paper and then they would start talking about all oh, the research, blah, 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 blah. This is an artwork by Aris Holler. None of it is true. <laughs> Yeah, so like, and they had that implication of, is it real science? Why do you trust that this is real science? Just because you see the instruments, uh, and I'm leaving like the whole story, but it's sort of like the same idea of doing this. And then people were criticizing, oh, but you're not telling at the end the audience like that yeah. it's not true. It's like, yeah, that's part of science. You don't know what's true or not. It was very interesting to see with the cabinet project because the cabinet project is in public spaces, so we cannot really put a lot of really big descriptions of it. Mm-hmm. So we did a couple of uh, of tours, but most of the times people were allowed to uh, think for themselves, and especially in uh, um, very public spaces. Like we had three cabinets, which have become, by the way, our main exhibition space because mm-hmm. they are so close to the Fields Institute. So we install things there and um, people are really interested. That is a corridor that is very public. So people are using it to go from a building to the other, from the Koffler uh, building where the students' services are to the Bayern uh, Center, which is where computer science and a lot of other dis- and mathematics, a lot of disciplines are. So there's a lot of traffic there and sometimes people are, are stopping there. And they look at the artworks and they don't have anything. They've never seen anything like that. They never um, got exposed to bio art, for instance. Mm-hmm. They start thinking aloud and they make hypotheses and they, they try to figure out what they are. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and it's beautiful to see. Like, I would like to put a camera <laughs> so that I can see how people react. You should. <laughs> um, I, I, I still have to, um, to, to find a way to record what they think because it's just beautiful the way they, they interpret the work. Mm-hmm. And they are all completely different. 
because they are all coming from different disciplines because this is a, a, a place of passage, right? So mm-hmm. like it's in between buildings and people from drama are going across and people from computer science are coming and administrators are going, mm-hmm. so, mm. yeah. Yeah, that's really cool. Yeah, and yeah. I think that would be a cool thing to see like as part of even the as a research to see what people Maybe are, we should put a camera there. Yeah. <laughs> it's a little bit spying on people. <laughs> well, already, I'm sure at U of T everything's being recorded all the time with oh, the yeah. camera. Yeah, so yeah, like <laughs> Oh that's uh, that's very cool. So uh, can you talk one thing you mentioned was this idea of uh, bio art that I think not like maybe not many people will know it's sort of like an emergent field. Can you talk a little bit about uh, what bioart is? Because I find it very, very interesting. Bioart is very complicated. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Because bioart can be, well, I've seen it in different, in different forms. The field I become very fascinated uh, by in bioart is when artists are using uh, biology as their medium. Mm-hmm. It means that they're using bacteria, viruses, well, viruses not too much, but b- mm-hmm. bacteria. Uh, they're using uh, wet stuff mm-hmm. to make their own work. And this is work that is very process-based. It changes across time. Mm-hmm. And therefore, sometimes it's not really accepted by galleries. Oh, right. And this course. is why places like cabinets are mm-hmm. the best, right? Mm-hmm or um, non-conventional places. Right. And there's also artists who are creating artworks that are finished, but when you see an art finished in the gallery, you don't realize that in order to become like this, the art has gone through a series of processes mm-hmm. that have been uh, taking place in a lab. Mm-hmm. So artists who are working in labs, especially biological labs, are also bioartists and they don't necessarily use biology as a medium, but the process of doing science in the biological lab can be the medium. Mm-hmm. And it becomes very problematic when these artworks are exposed in the gallery because what about the, all the work that came before? Mm-hmm. It's still part of the artwork, right? right. How do you explain the process? Mm-hmm. Uh, then what else? With bioart, I mean, there's also performance art. There's people who are creating... Well, there's an artist I would like to bring to Canada again. Mm. He came twice a long time ago, but I want him back. Uh, he's doing performance art, uh, but he's, uh, uh, he's also a bioartist because he's creating fake experiments mm. uh, that are uh, making up uh, science fictional characters oh. or new organisms and of course there's a lot of uh, truth and a lot of falseness into mm-hmm. what he's doing but that's the beauty of it he mm-hmm. really wants people to pay attention so right. um so this is performance art it doesn't necessarily have art science science mm-hmm. but it has the spirit of uh, what the spirit, yeah. yeah the yeah. spirit is there and it's um Biological science. Mm-hmm. So it's like a broad. Yeah, bioart is a broad field. Um, I've I've also have like the artist. One of the artists who's coming to to Toronto in a few weeks uh, has created artwork that uh, have since she started doing them have like basically dried out. So now what she's exposing is basically like canvas with stuff that is going to be there basically forever. Mm-hmm. 
but it's grown before and uh, the artist might or might not choose to show the process before mm-hmm. so so bioart has a lot of has a lot of um, uh, potentials. Mm-hmm. Yeah, then yeah. of course there's there's a lot there's books that are trying to classify it, but I haven't really. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's sort of like too early or unnecessary sometimes, right? Uh, it's a it's an emergent field, mm-hmm. so. Yeah, no, it's uh, that and the the whole like the like do it yourself movement for like uh, there is a lot of uh, art being done with. Uh, electronics and Arduino and all those kinds of uh, things too that I think he, uh, the art science salon you guys are working as well, right? With uh, like interactive things with uh, with uh, sensors and all those uh, those things. Yeah, well. yeah, there's there's artists, we've invited artists who are working with technologies with big data as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, some of them are highly experimental, so it's mm-hmm. a t- the different type of lab they're working in. Uh-huh. Yeah, it's not necessarily bioart, but it's another type of. Yeah, but I think that's a very exciting time that uh, you have so much uh, art being done, and uh, even if like a traditional gallery will not be the place to do it, it's probably even more interesting to show it as a living thing and other kinds of. Uh, I think this is the future of of this type of uh, science um, based art, the fact that like we might or might not be able to exhibit our work in a traditional gallery or in a museum simply because in a museum you have stuff that would last for years if not mm-hmm. decades or centuries but bio art might not last that amount of time mm-hmm. so the work is extremely ephemeral and uh, disappearing very very soon so what do you do mm-hmm. and um, I think I think people are, are very concerned about it. There's a lot of concern about conservation. This is a field that has been has, has been on and uh, going on uh, for the um, for the electronic arts mm-hmm. because uh, um, at a certain point electronic art deals with obsolescence. Mm-hmm. But if electronic art is dealing with obsolescence, so the software that no longer works, or mm-hmm. uh, the computer where you're supposed to show the art that is no longer available, mm-hmm. or the code is not working. Right. But then uh, in biology, in uh, bio art, the problem is similar and different at the same time. The problem here is not obsolescence, but it's uh, how the work would look in a few years. So the work is is disappearing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's evolving anyway, right? So it's uh, that's that's cool. Two final things I wanted to ask you is um, regarding like your experience with this bridge between art and science and what you're doing specifically in Toronto and now expanding to other places in uh, in Ontario and hopefully getting bigger and bigger and bigger. Thank you, crossed. Then. Um, <laughs> For people, let's say that you have an artist or a scientist or both of them, like what would you say to a person that is interested, like say a student or a scientist or an artist that is interested in getting into this uh, kind of field or to learning more about what they can do for their specific interest in science and art? How would you recommend them to go about it? Oh, that's a million dollar question. I, I think that the first uh, thing they should be doing is try to... Um, I'm trying to think 
what I did in order to, mm-hmm. to become interested in that. I guess try to be as curious as possible. Try to open your, clear your mind from all the assumptions and all you've, you've heard about science and art. And, and I think that these, these events that we are doing are actually good to open people up, people's mind. Because mm-hmm. um, I, uh, I noticed how they change throughout years. It's a slow mm-hmm. process. Mm-hmm. But our, our audience has become this uh, fabulous cradle of uh, inspiration that never ceases to, to surprise me. Uh, cool. Yeah. yeah, so you would say that I, I love this idea of like, like blank slate, follow your curiosity, sort of like usually how I, I finish my podcast and all that kind of stuff. So you would say like to go and learn about other subjects or maybe try to either create things like you were doing here or to try to find other institutions that are doing these gatherings of art and science or maybe approach a fellow like like science student or a scientist mm-hmm. Yo, how can you work together like i know it's a slow process i'm just trying to think of like a person that is not necessarily in the environment of mm-hmm. uh, that we are right now how would you like go about trying to do that kind of stuff hmm. yeah unfortunately this is kind of a new-ish field. Mm-hmm. Um, I am very sad to say that you will not find inspiration from the institutions mm-hmm. because institutions are not open and they can't be open to um, interdisciplinary approaches. Mm-hmm. They really can't. They, they are not able, like they're, they're, their hands are tied. Um, so I think really it's down to one's initiative. Uh-huh. Do not despair, though. <laughs> um, I, I was trying to think what I what I was doing myself. I, I, I was attending a lot of like just just go to a lot. Just keep yourself curious. Attend a lot of events in different disciplines, mm-hmm. even if you don't understand them. Just go. Just go. There, there will be something that inspires you. Mm-hmm. Some of them will make you really sleep, but <laughs> some of them are really like cringe-inducing. Mm-hmm. Uh, some of them have uh, very uh, arrogant people talking, mm-hmm. but it doesn't matter. Like this mm-hmm. is already like a variety that you're getting in, right? Like take in as much as you can, and I mm-hmm. think this this would be the advice. like a good yeah. This would be the advice. Mm-hmm. So try to do as much as you can. I was trying to ad- advise my students to be open to to a lot of uh, different things. And this is what I've been trying to do um, this year with my classes. Uh, sometimes I fail, sometimes I, I see these people flourishing mm-hmm. and uh, really changing their mind. Cool. You do one at a time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You can't, you can't. If you, one person, if you have, uh, yeah, one yeah, person is still. Butterfly effect. Yes, actually, actually yes. <laughs> cool. So, uh, Roberta, where should uh, people interested in your work, where should they go to, like uh, online? What, where, where can people find you? And uh, if they're interested in the uh, uh, yeah. art science uh, salon or in your research specifically, in your artwork? Okay, so I, we have a website. Uh, which today means nothing. It's just an archive. <laughs> uh, the um, the website is artsalon.com. That's where all the links to all the social media are as well. We have a mailing list. Uh, but yeah, check us out. We have uh, we are on Instagram. We are on Twitter. Um, we are on Facebook. 
And if you go and look for Artside Salon, you will find us. It's like facebook.com slash Artside Salon, Twitter, Artside underscore Salon. And I don't remember anymore. Instagram, I think, is Artside Salon as well. So, yeah. We, I will put links on the yeah, show notes exactly. for everything. And cool. So and you, we have a YouTube channel too. Oh, cool. I didn't know about that. With all the documentation and that. Oh, cool. Yeah, I should make it a little bit more visible because... It's always a work in progress to putting all these things. Because like, YouTube, like people, like for example, when I invite people to, to give a talk and they say, Oh my God, what am I supposed to say? Especially the scientists, I usually point them to the YouTube, salon, uh, the YouTube channel and it's like, Oh, this is so nice that you document everything, and yeah, uh-huh. so it's it's a good way to advertise our work and also to a good way to archive everything. Mm-hmm. And it's a way also, I guess, for people that for whatever reason can't come to the to to the talks to come and take a take a look and see what oh, people yeah. are saying. And, uh, yeah. Even if it's in retrospect, you'll probably get something out of that. So, Roberta, thank you so much. Thank you. (laughs) Thanks so much. So, that's it for today's show. Thank you for listening to the Wanderings Podcast. You can find show notes and links at pedrobonato.com slash podcast. If you like the show, I would love if you could share it with your friends or leave a review on iTunes. If you want to get in touch with me, you can find me on all social media at Pedro Bonato. I would love to hear from you. You can find my photography work at pedrobonato.com. The music for the Wanderings podcast is provided by the Blue Dot Ensemble, a music and dance group exploring traditions from all over the planet, where I am one of the founders and the lead drummer. You can find us at bluedotensemble.com. So tune in next week for another show. Until then, I urge you to keep following your curiosity and I'm looking forward to our next wanderings together. 